Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. We look at 1 Kings chapter 17. Hopefully you found that in your Bibles. If you have, stand with me as we read together. Very short part of this chapter. We're going to preach the entire chapter this morning, so I hope you have your seatbelts on. But 1 Kings Uh, Chapter 17, starting in verse number one, it reads like this. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain for these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Pray with me. Most gracious Heavenly Father, this morning I want to thank you so much for how you've already blessed my heart through all that's been done in this place, and I pray that it has brought you the glory that you so deserve. Now, Father, as we approach your throne of grace through your word, I ask that you focus our attention completely on you, that you make very little of me and very much of you, Father, this morning, and that as the word is preached, that you are glorified, that the church is edified, that Satan will be horrified and that a lost person will come to know your son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior. Today, stand in my body, think with my mind, speak with my lips, that you may be heard. We ask this in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What an awesome song. I want to ask you this, church. Do you believe there is a heaven? Yes. Do you believe there is a God? Yes. Do you believe that he had a son named Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that he saved you? What difference has it made in the world around you? Your belief in that, what difference has it made to your neighbor? What difference has it made to your family? What difference has it made in where you are right now in your walk? It's amazing that you sung that song because this morning we're going to talk on the subject, Are You There? Are you there? A question we each have to ask ourselves is, are we where God wants us to be at this moment? Not only personally, not only individually, but as a church. The question we need to be asking ourselves is, are we where God wants us to be? Oftentimes, we become very complacent with where we are. Both in our personal lives and the things that we own, where we live and those sorts of things, but also in our spiritual life. We are content to know that we are saved and that we're receiving the blessings of God in the place that we find ourselves right now. We become very content with that. We're satisfied with what God has done and with what God is doing. We become very, very complacent. Yet when times get tough, when there's hospital stays, when there's deaths in families, when there's a loss of jobs, when things go south in our lives, we start asking questions that sound something like this. God, where are you? Why would you let this happen to me? Don't you care that there's this difficulty going on in my life? Didn't you promise, God, didn't you promise that you would be my provision? You ever ask God those questions? I have. Sure. And I believe if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we're not where God wants us to be. We know there's more. We know there's more that he desires for us. Yet, we're looking for his provision in these time of needs in our life, knowing that there's more that he desires out of us. You know, Elijah, he's one of the greatest prophets that you're going to read about in the Bible. Awesome, awesome individual. 
And the story of Elijah, I think, sheds a lot of light on the questions that we have in our life about where we are and where God is sometimes in our lives. Let's talk about the context of the passage before we jump in because it's important to understand where he's at in this whole grand picture of First Kings. You see, King Ahab, he's, he's ruling over Israel. Matter of fact, it's been about 58 years or so since Israel split and there's, these kings have been set up in different regions. He's in a long line of kings that have moved Israel from the worship of God to the, to the worship of Baal. Matter of fact, about seven or so of these, these guys have come along and, and pointed in that direction. How do we know that this Ahab is not a worshiper of God? Well, in 1 Kings 16.30, it tells us now, Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all before him. You get a picture of this King Ahab? This King Ahab, he's worse than all the previous ones. And it says, plainly, he's done evil in the sight of the Lord. To put it in today's vernacular, Ahab was a bad dude. He was a bad dude. And then chapter 16 also introduces us to another bad dudette. A dudette named Jezebel. Have any of you ever named your kids Jezebel? You know, I've never run across one named Jezebel. I think there's a good reason. <laughs> I think there, there is a good reason. See, uh, Jezebel led the king and subsequently the people to the worship of this god Baal. In fact, Ahab even set up a temple to worship Baal. And all the people that followed him followed him right into the worship of this false god. Baal worship was kind of interesting if you look at it, but there was one main thing that connects to this story that, that's important to understand about Baal worship. They believed that Baal was the god of storms. The god of storms. It's interesting because what comes with storms? Rain. Rain. So therefore, what did they think Baal did for them? Provided the rain that grew the crops that provided the substance for their life. They saw this, this Baal as being the God that supplied the rain that grew the things that they used to live off of and to sell. Get the picture? Kind of changes the way you look at the story now, doesn't it? So it's important to have this, this context because to them, this Baal was the God of the harvest, so to speak, which I find interesting. Because who is Jesus in the New Testament? The God of the harvest, the harvest of souls. So this leads us to that verse 1 of, of chapter 17 to Elijah, who's sent by God to stand before this Ahab, this, this wicked king. Now, Elijah, he lived in a town called uh, Tishbe, which is just kind of east of, of the Jordan River, just to put it in perspective for you. And we pick up the story as Elijah stands in the presence of this king Ahab. And it tells us there in that verse 1, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives... Before whom I stand, there shall be no dew or rain these years except by my word. <laughs> you can imagine the reaction that that got. <laughs> Here he stands before a king, and, and he's just an ordinary man. And he's, he's proclaiming to represent a God that nobody there believes even exists. <laughs> and he's saying that he can stop the rain that their God supplies. See the picture? See the picture? This man is standing before a king that believes his God supplies the rain. And this man, Elijah, says, you got it all wrong. I serve the God that supplies the rain. 
doesn't really tell us that Elijah had any cohorts or friends or armies with him when he did this, by the way. I find that kind of interesting. Needless to say, Elijah became very unpopular. Very unpopular at that moment. Notice what God does next in the life of Elijah that shows who the real God is. And notice the three things that are involved in being there with God. Remember the question, are you there? Are you there? Here's what happens when you are there with God. There are three things. There's going to be this call from God. There's going to be a command from God. And there's going to be completion by God. And let's look at how those fit in. If you know the story of Elijah, you know there's this this big day. There's this big day that's just a chapter or so over in front of us. There's this great big day for Elijah that seems, when you read the story, to be the completion of, of this part of the ministry of Elijah. This is when he stands on top of Mount Carmel and he faces off with some 450 prophets of this Baal. If you remember the story. And it's when God sends down the fire. God sends down the fire on the altar that that Elijah set up. And then he poured water all over. And it says that it not only consumed the offering. It consumed the wood. It consumed the water. And it burnt the offering. the, The offering placed to the ground. That altar to the ground. And then. If you know the rest of the story. Off in the horizon a cloud starts coming Shortly thereafter, with that rain, that rain. That's the story you see ahead of where we are now. But to get to that mountaintop experience, (laughs) Elijah had to start from where he was at. See, from where he was at was going to lead to the top of Mount Carmel, but he would have never got there if he'd have stayed where he was at. And I challenge you this morning. Is there a Mount Carmel in front of you? Is there a Mount Carmel in front of this church? Yet we may never get there because we're comfortable where we're at. See, let's notice first God's call. It's in verses 2 and 3. In verses 2 and 3 it says, And the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherubeth which flows into the Jordan. Flows into the Jordan. At first glance, it seems obvious. It seems obvious why God's telling him to get away. I mean, the the king would have not been happy with Elijah. When when Elijah said there was going to be no rain, he was basically telling the king, your God is worthless and my God is everything. And to prove it to you, there's going to be a drought, a big one. The people, they would have not been real happy with Elijah. They depended on the rain for their livelihood and they believed that that rain was supplied by their God. See the picture? See the picture? So it's obvious. I mean, it's obvious why God said run. But closer observation, closer observation would tell you there's more to the story. It wasn't just that he was sending him away for his safety. See, God was ascending Elijah to a brook so that he would have water to live through the drought. Number one. See, remember, there was about to be a time of no rain, not even just not rain, There wasn't even going to be dew that fell on the ground. How many of you just love this time of year when you get up in the morning and you run your windshield wipers as hard as they will go without it raining just to keep the dew off your window for the first mile or so? That was going to just completely disappear. So God was setting up provision for Elijah. So maybe it was for his safety that he ran. Maybe it was for the provision. But you know what? There's even more to the story. And it comes when you look at the name of the brook because it's significance to the purpose of God sending him there 
it's very significant to the purpose. See, if you'll notice the name of that brook, it's Sharith. The brook Sharith. If you look at that word and you see what it means in the Hebrew, you're going to find that that word means to cut away. To cut away. Why is that significant? See, for God to use Elijah on Mount Carmel, he needed to cut a few things out of Elijah's life. A few things out of Elijah's life. Maybe it was his pride. Maybe it was his self-sufficiency. Maybe it was his disobedience. The list could go on forever and ever. But there was something that was in Elijah that was going to hinder God using him in that mountaintop experience. So God took him from the face of Ahab and telling him there'll be no rain, there'll be no dew. And he took him to the brook cutaway. For the purpose of working on Elijah. See, when we answer God's call in our life, it often takes us to a place where God wants to cut away things that will hinder him using us. It's not that he's not capable of using you in the condition you are in. It's that he cares enough about you that he wants you to be a different person when he uses you. You see, as individual Christians, we have things that need to be cut away. Face it, we depend on our abilities and the things we have in this world way too much. (laughs) We think that we know better about what God wants done than God does oftentimes. And we're all guilty. We're all guilty of holding on to the things that God has given us instead of approaching God with open hands and saying, God, there's all you gave me. You use it however you want. We would rather keep one hand in our pocket just in case he doesn't come through. See, there are things in our life individually that God needs to cut away for us to be effective in ministry for him. But guess what, church? There's things the church needs cut away to be effective in God's ministry. The number one thing I think the church needs to cut away from, God needs to trim out of this church, as well as a bunch of others, is our tradition. Our tradition needs to go out the window. It doesn't matter how you did it yesterday. If it wasn't done for God, in God's glory, by His command, it needs to disappear. It needs to go away. Tradition never saved anybody. Never. See, doing what we did yesterday, because that's the way we've always done it, It's the same as the the definition of insanity. (laughs) Doing the same thing tomorrow you did today, expecting a different result. That's insanity. It's insanity for the church to do the same thing we did yesterday, tomorrow, because we've always done it that way. It didn't work yesterday. What makes us think it's going to work tomorrow? We need to trim those things out. Thinking that, that we should set aside. That's one of the things we need to cut out. Thinking that we should set aside some of what God gave us just in case there's a rainy day. I pray to God there's a drought. That's what I pray. And you're going to find out the set aside ain't going to feed you very long. I pray God brings a drought. I pray he brings a drought so that he can cut that out of our thinking process. That we're worried that God's going to run out? Give me a break. Another thing that we need to cut out of church is closing off the door of the church to people in the community that live different, that look different, that speak a different language because it makes us uncomfortable. We need to realize 
We need to realize there are souls all around us in different color skin, speaking different languages, living different lifestyles that are going to go to hell if we don't tell them about the gospel. We need to quit worrying about being comfortable and worry about where they're going to spend eternity. Another thing that we need to cut out of church is our unwillingness to change. We don't like to change because there's uncertainty. God likes for there to be uncertainty because it requires faith. We need to be willing to go wherever God calls. See, God called Elijah to a place that that he had ordained so that God could cut away a few things in his life, could trim back a few things. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time that we answer God's call so that he can cut a few things in our life and in the life of our church. Maybe it's time. Second, we not only notice God's call, but we notice God's command. We notice God's command when it says in verse 4, And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Listen to this. If you don't take anything else, if you don't take anything else away with you this morning, matter of fact, if time is short, you can leave right after this statement, and you will have the gist of today, where God calls, God commands. Understand where God calls, God commands. God's commanded the brook to flow so that Elijah would have water to drink. During the time of the cutting away of the worthless things in God's life, or Elijah's life, God had commanded the brook to supply him water. (laughs) When all the rest were thirsting because of their disobedience and the worship of Baal, Elijah was going to be drinking from the brook that God commanded to flow because of his obedience. Many times we go where we want to go and, and we're saying we're called by God when, when we go there. And, and when we get there, we're sitting there thirsting to death. And we blame God for it. We blame God for it. Notice that the supply of God is at the brook Cherubeth. Cherubeth. God's supply would have still been at the brook Cherubeth, even if Elijah had gone somewhere else. You know what would have been missing? At the brook, had Elijah chose to go somewhere else, it'd have been Elijah. God's supply was still going to be there. The command is where the call's at. The brook was going to flow. If Elijah had decided he didn't want to go there, it wasn't going to change the fact that the supply was still going to be at that brook. He wouldn't be able to partake of it because he had chosen to go somewhere else. Notice God not only commanded the brook to flow, he commanded the ravens to feed. Commanded those ravens to feed. What, what I find amazing about this command is not that God sent him bread and meat. What, what I find amazing is how God sent him bread and meat. I mean, think about it. There had to be hundreds, hundreds of different kind of animals he could have used. Let's face it. He could have put it on the back of a camel and had him stroll in every day. He could have put it on a turtle to swim down the branch, the brook, every day. He could have flown it in by pigeon from somewhere. But, but he found, he, he, he used the raven. Well, what's so amazing about the raven bringing this food to Elijah? <laughs> Ravens are flesh-eating birds. You realize that. They're not the sparrows that eat the seeds off the ground. Ravens eat flesh. What was it that it was bringing to Elijah? Meat. (laughs) Meat. They were going to bring to Elijah the thing that they desired themselves. And remember, there's a drought. There's a drought. 
It not only affected the people, it affected the animals. How abundant do you think food supply would have been for the animals? These ravens probably would have been hungry. I'm sure they've been out searching for food. Well, this brings another thought to my mind. What is it that God's given you that you desire for yourself, but he's commanded you to give it to someone else? Have you ever thought about that? The ravens desired that which they were bringing to Elijah, yet they didn't eat it. They do as God commanded and delivered it to the man of God for his substance. The question for me is, what's he given you and me in this church that we desire to have, yet he's given it to us for us to give it away? For us to give it away. What is it that he supplied? See, God's provision in our lives is to be used for his glory. He gives us those things so that he may be glorified. To spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To support the work in the kingdom all the way to the uttermost parts of the world. To care for the widows and the hungry in our midst. Not just in our church. In our community, by the way. To support those who are going out and doing the work of God. So we notice that there is a call. There's God's call. We notice there's God's command, but we also notice that there is God's completion. God's completion in verses 5 and 6, it says, So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed at the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordans. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and the bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Elijah was obedient to answer the call of God and to go to this brook. God was faithful in his promise and fed Elijah every morning and every evening. All was good. Everybody was content. Yet there's a verse 7. Verse 7 says, And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now here's Elijah at the place where God has called him to go doing that which he was commanded to do. Nature was doing what God commanded it to do. All was well. And his supply of water dries up. Now he's right where God called him. He's right where God called him. Yet what God was providing for him disappeared. This is where the true Baptists show up in the church. This is where the Baptists show up. Let me tell you how they show up. They say, see, pastor... When you do things that don't make sense, the brook will dry up. That's what happens. When the pastor says, we ought to go do this because God's called us and things get a little rough, first thing to do is blame the pastor. They say stuff like this. Hey, when you start to feed the community, you know it's going to happen. Everybody's going to show up and you know as well as I do, pastor, half of them don't need it. They're looking for a handout. When you start to send money to organizations, that are out trying to spread the gospel and meet humanitarian needs in the world around us, places that we may never have the opportunity to do, we question what they do instead of what God called us to do. We get things I've had recently that says, Hey, Pastor, why do you focus on international missions? You know, there's people all around us right here that need to hear the gospel. If you've been so fortunate as to say that to me, you know my response. So what are you doing about it? (laughs) 
You know, I even get, Pastor, we can't help everybody. We may need the money in case something breaks around here. One of my favorites. You know, God only shows up about once or twice a year and makes sure we got enough things to get us by for the next six months. You're right. We probably need to hold on to it just in case he's off doing something somewhere else. Can you tell it bothers me? If you can't, it does. <laughs> it does. Have you ever stopped to think that sometimes God allows you the brook, the brook that he sends you to, he allows that brook to dry up so he can teach you something? You ever thought about that? Sometimes the brook dries up because we're at the wrong brook. Sometimes it runs out because we're sitting next to the wrong one. He said, go there. We went here and the brook dried up. Sometimes that's going to happen because we're in the wrong place. We wind up at this brook of this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. This is what we've always done. Guess what? That brook's going to dry up. That brook is going to dry up. When we're at the brook, we can't depend on God keeping it flowing. Why? It's only when we're at the brook that he's called us to that we can hold to the promise that he's made us. Go to a different brook, you're on your own. Go to the brook that I send you to, I'll supply. Is what he says. Sometimes the brook that we go to dries up because God wants us to depend, to depend on him completely and his faithfulness. See, sometimes we're at the right brook, we're drinking of the water, and it dries up. And what he's trying to teach us is to be dependent completely on him and his faithfulness to us. See, God had called Elijah to the brook, and Elijah had been obedient to go. God had promised to give him water and food, and God had been faithful in that. Why was there any reason to think it would change just because the brook dried up? God was being faithful. See... Now, God was going to teach him a completely different, more powerful lesson. He's going to teach him that obedience will lead to blessings, no matter how difficult that obedience may be. Many times when the brook dries up, we want to quit. We want to quit. What does that look like for a church member? Things get a little rough. Things don't go the way you think they're supposed to be. There starts being a few troubles and struggles within the church. And and you're having a difficult time seeing the end of the journey and things just seem a little rough for you. You know what happens? You turn tail and run. That's what happens as a church member. You know what happens as a pastor when the brook dries up? Let me tell you what happens as a pastor when the brook dries up. When the numbers go down, when the offering starts come, stops coming in, when the complaints go sky high, when everybody has something negative to say and nobody has anything positive to say and you can't see the end of the road. you know how a pastor handles it? He fills out a resume and mails it out. That's how a pastor handles it. <laughs> how did Elijah handle it? How did Elijah handle it? See, When Elijah's brook dried up, he didn't turn tail and run. He didn't send out resumes for a new God. He pressed in to the God that had been his supply. How do I know that? Because the same three things happen again. God calls again. God calls again. If you look at verse 8 very quickly, it says, And the word of the Lord came to him, and it says, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Notice the difference in the two calls. The first time he told him to go to the brook and hide, and I'll supply. This time he says, Go, go to this Zarephath, and dwell there. Make your home. Take up residence. The actual word for dwell there literally means sit down. It's a different call. 
He's sitting there. He says, it's almost as if God's saying, I've done this work in you. I've trimmed these things out of you. You've been uh, totally obedient to me and, and trusted on my faithfulness. Now I'm going to use you in this area to make yourself at home. You're going to be there a while. You're about to come to a part of the community that I want you in, that I want to work through you. And, and when you're faithful in a little things, church, church, when you're faithful in little things, God blesses you with bigger things. God blesses you with more. It says when you're faithful in little, you're going to get much. He starts with the things that, that need to be given up, those things that need to be trimmed away. Then he asks us to be faithful with just a few things, just to trust in him. Just do these few little things, just, just to build up our, our strength, our faith muscles. And when we're faithful with those things, you know what he does? He blesses our socks off. He blesses our socks Why does he do that? Because he says, your track record says, if you can be faithful in the hard places, in the hard times, where there is no glory, with the small things, I'm going to bless your success because I know this about you. You're going to be faithful in the big things. That's what God says. So church, it's time we go through the brook drying up process and calling. And go through it with faithfulness. Move on to dwelling where God has called us so that we can do great work for his glory. You see, so not only does God call again, he commands again. In verse 9, you'll see it says, See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. God's already set up provision. Matter of fact, in verse 10, it says this, So he arose, and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. God had everything worked out. There was a widow at the gate when Elijah arrived, and he said, Hey, give me a drink of water. Notice her response in verse 11. It says, and she was going to get it. In other words, she took right off to go get this cup of water. God already given her a heart that she would respond uh, favorably to Elijah's request. But you may say, hey, it's just a little water. What's the big deal? It's a cup of water. Remember the drought. Remember the drought. Water would have been a very precious commodity. And to, to go and get a cup for every stranger that passed by, would seem a touch foolish now, wouldn't it? Remember, we can't feed them all. Feed one, they're all going to show up. Remember? It seemed a little foolish. Maybe, just maybe, she needed that water for her own survival. And notice that's a true statement if you work at, look at verse 11. It says she was going to get it and he called out to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now, thoughts pop in my mind. <laughs> Wasn't it enough that he asked her for water? Wasn't it enough that he said, hey, it's probably your last cup, but could you bring it over here? I'm a little thirsty. Now he wanted to take her food, too. It, she was probably getting pretty destitute with, with the drought. This says in verse 12, and she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. You think she needed a cup of water herself? I think the answer to that question is yes. He's asked her for the cup of water. He's asked her to bring bread. She's so destitute that she's actually making arrangements for her family to eat one last meal and die. You ever been there? I haven't. This woman is destitute. She had just enough flour, it says, and just enough oil to make one more meal, and it would be their last. She'd resolved herself to the fact that her and her son we're dead. We're dying. 
This is where Elijah, having just come from this calling, this, this whole command of God, this whole brook experience, you just know Elijah's going to step in and save the day. You just know it, right? I'm sure he's going to ask God to, to provide for him. Sure, surely he won't take her last food. Maybe he'll just say, hey, could you send those ravens to me again? Let her have her stuff. Just God, you take care of it. You've already done it once. But look at Elijah's request. He said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. <laughs> Verse 13, he says, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. He didn't say, okay, if it's your last, you, you keep it. I, I hate to take your last. He said, no, go and do as you have said. What did she say? She was going to make one more meal. He said, go, make the meal. Of course, he probably was saying, make it. You guys eat. I'll pray for you. Right? No. Look again at 13. He says, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterwards, make some for yourself and your son. What? What kind of request is this from the man of God? He says, you've only got enough for one cake. You make and bring it to me. Is there any left over? You're welcome to it. <laughs> It's a great place to be right after this brook experience now, isn't it? The widow says she only has enough for one last meal that she's going to die. Didn't even say, Elijah didn't even say, I'll tell you what, y'all go ahead and eat. And if you get full and there's a little left over, I'll just eat that. You know, it does say in the Bible, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. I'll be last. That way I'll wind up first. So you eat first. That, that would have been the spiritual thing to say now, wouldn't it? He, he didn't tell her to, to go ahead and feed them first. So why could Elijah look at her, knowing it was the last meal they were going to die? Why could he do this? See, he learned to give up his own reasoning at the brook Cherubeth. And he learned at the brook Cherubeth to depend upon God. And what did God told him? You go to Seraphith. And there'll be a widow there to provide. He knew that there had already been this command. It says in verse 14, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain to the earth. Elijah had experienced God's calling and command in his life, and he knew that where God calls, God commands. And where God commands, God completes. Elijah knew that God was going to complete that which he had started. All Elijah was responsible for was answering the call. And he was answering the call. What was the widow's response in verse 15? It says, so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. That must have been a good godly woman now, hadn't it? She went and did exactly what Elijah said. I think we're going to see there's something wrong with that statement. It says she did according to what Elijah said. But what I find amazing about many Christians today is that they hear the call of God and they sit and they wait for him to provide for what it is he's calling for them to do before they're willing to go do it. She knew that it was the last meal she would ever eat, ever. And she was going to give it to Elijah. must admit she really was in tune with God, right? Because as Christians, a lot of times we say... Okay, God, you've called. I'm going to sit here until you provide everything. And when we get everything together, we're going to go. <laughs> we're going to go. But notice, Elijah didn't do that. Notice the widow didn't do that. Elijah went trusting God was going to be faithful to his command. And, and when, you, 
when you ask them what they are doing, those Christians that decide they're going to sit and wait on God, they say, I'm being still <laughs> and knowing that He is God. I'm being still. God's called me and I'm going to be still and wait on God. You know what? We get that backwards. When God calls, He starts waiting on you to answer. He's done His part. He's called. Know when to be still because God said be still. Know when to go because God said go. When He says go, you go. Because Elijah was faithful to the call of God and obedience and the command of God, things were about to change in the widow's life. This is the amazing part. Now hurry. Do you happen to notice her spiritual state? I'd mentioned she must have been a really good Christian lady if she just ran right off and fixed the stuff and said, hey, if your God said it, it's got to be true. She had to. She just had to be this, this good spiritual woman. If you happen to look at verse 12, you'll realize that's not the case. Because in verse 12, she says, as the Lord your God. She didn't say the Lord my God. She looked at Elijah and said, as the Lord, your God. That gives us indication she did not, did not believe in God. She actually more than likely was a Baal worshiper. But God had been working in her heart. God had been working in her heart. This is the beautiful thing about answering God's call. God precedes us in the place that he calls us to, to do a work in the hearts of those that he sent us to work with or to or minister to. God precedes us in that. He'd already been working in this lady's heart so that when Elijah spoke, she obeyed. That's a good lesson. That's a good lesson for us today. When the man of God speaks the word of God to our hearts, we should obey that word. To be obedient means to not only be blessed, but to be a blessing to others. See, we've seen God's call again. We see God's command again. And lastly, we see God's completion. This is the beauty of the story. This is the beauty of the story. In verses 15 and 16, it says, So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household and he ate. For many days. Remember she said there's, there's enough for one cake. But it says eight for many days. God is faithful to his promises. He had promised there would be provision for Elijah through the drought. And God had promised the widow something else though. See in verse 16 it says the bin of flour was not used up nor the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord which he spoke to Elijah. Remember what Elijah had told her? You go. You go and don't worry. Back in verse 12, he says, the flour bin, the oil jar will never run out. Just do as I say. And look, God was faithful. It says it, it never ran out. God's word does not return void. When God's word is spoken, when God's word is used in God's way, his word does not return void. He had spoken to the fact that I will supply the widow's need. Keep in mind, she was not a believer. But he told Elijah to tell her, don't worry. You do what the Lord says and I will supply. And he did. It says he did. And it's a quick side note. I don't believe, I don't believe that when she pulled the flour and the oil out and made the last cake, that she turned around and the jars were full. That, that's, that's not what it says. It says that every time she went, she used all that was there. But when she went back the next time, there was just enough for that time. There's a difference and asking God and sitting and waiting for him to fill it up and trusting that it'll be there when you need it. She believed that it'll be there when she needed it 
Because that's what God had said. That's called faith. God completed the work of supplying the needs of Elijah and the widow's household. But you know, God did a greater work. God did a greater work in this story. You know, I mentioned that she was not a believer. And so far, we've not seen the fact that any of that's changed. She believed the word, yes, but she didn't really believe in God. Look in that 17th verse, 17th verse of this chapter. It says, Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick, and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. Now Elijah had showed up. Elijah had said, Give me water. Give me your last meal. And if you'll do that, God will supply your needs. You're not going to run out of anything. And all that had been happening. And then all of a sudden, the son that she was trying to, to feed the last meal to because they were going to die, she was trying. He dies. That's what it says. He He dies. <laughs> You ever wonder why God asks us to go there, to go places? You ever, you ever wonder where the there is that he's asking you to go to? For Elijah, his there was to be in the home of the widow when she lost her son. You'll see why. The story goes on to tell us that the widow blamed Elijah. We don't have time to read it this morning, but she blamed Elijah. For Elijah, he was there in that home at this death for a particular reason. It tells us that Elijah took the boy, took the boy upstairs where he stayed. He laid across him three times and, and, and prayed, prayed, asking God to bring him back to life. And verse 22 of this chapter says, Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. A man of obedience to God has God's ear. It says he heard the voice of Elijah. And it says, and the soul of the child came back to him and he was revived. The boy came to life. There, there was a miracle in the fact that the jars never ran out. Now there's this miracle and her son that had died had come to life. Yet that's not the greatest miracle in the story. We haven't even got there yet. It's not the greatest miracle in the story. Look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. The greatest miracle in this whole story is verse 24 when it says, Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God. What is the by this? It's Elijah's obedience to answer the call, to go where he's commanded, and to do what God told him. Elijah's obedience showed her that his God was God. Church, you want the world to know that Jesus Christ died for their sins and that God is God? Live it. Answer the call. Go where he commands. Be obedient and the world will look and say there is a God and you serve him. You want them to listen to your story about what Christ did? Show that story in your life in obedience. And it says here that he, that he, he went, he did those things. And she said, now by this I know that you are a man of God. What effect did it have on her? And it says and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. She came to know that God was God because Elijah answered the call, did as he was commanded, and saw God complete that which he wanted to do. It wasn't the filling of the jars. It wasn't the raising the boy from the dead. It was the saving the soul of the widow. See, the completion came when someone come to know God was God. How are we to respond when called? We're to go. We're to go no matter how difficult. How are we to respond to God's command? Go in faithfulness. Do that which He's commanded us. What are we to expect 
when we go where we're called and we do what we're commanded, we're to expect God to complete that which he promised. See, what is it today that God's calling and commanding you to do? What is it today that God's calling and commanding this church to do? How many could come to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? If we'd only answer the call, do as commanded, and look for God to complete that which He has done. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.